Recording from the Mojave Wilderness in Joshua Tree, California. Now is the time for Desert Oracle Radio, the voice of the desert. Well, night has fallen on the desert, and I finally did it. I finally added 29 palms to the list of high desert communities that I have called home, at least for a month. There's Yucca Valley, North Joshua Tree, South Joshua Tree, Flamingo Heights, Pioneer Town, Phelan. Now, Phelan is over by Pinion Hills, Western Mojave between the Antelope Valley and the Victor Valley. Very nice out there, but no national parks. No national parks and no national monuments and too many strip malls and too many suburbs, but it's nice up by Pinion Hills, by Juniper Hills. That whole area up against the north slope of the San Gabriel Mountains. Valurmo headed up to Big Pines and Wrightwood. They've got Joshua trees twice as big around as the ones here in Joshua Tree. Now, when you've lived a lot of places, and I've lived in about 50 at last count, all over this country and Europe and mostly Eastern Europe, I've lived so many places that I came up with my own rule, my own metric regarding whether or not I really lived somewhere or whether it was a long work trip or a vacation, whatever that is, the rule was this. If you got your mail forwarded to the address, you really lived there. But with email and online billing and all the dull horrors of modern existence following you around so that you can't even pick up your phone without being confronted with this ridiculous and constant flow of garbage, now you really don't need to forward your mail. Almost nothing of value is delivered by letter. And nobody writes letters anyway. And nobody reads them, even if you take the trouble to write them. Present company excluded, meaning me, myself, I read your letters, I read them, and I enjoy them, and I'm trying to always send back a written reply all summer long. I've carried around a little sack of postcards and stamps. Along with the letters that need replies. I'm still very far behind. We don't have this stuff anymore. We don't have the pens and letterhead and typewriters and postage stamps at the ready. I need to get a typewriter again. My buddy Cyrus out in wherever the hell he lives in Nevada now, he has a typewriter and he sends type letters and it's always nice to get a letter from Cyrus. Now, we've got a Desert Oracle Post Office, Box 1735 in Joshua Tree. You know that. Sometimes people even get it tattooed on themselves. 1735-92252. Very cryptic. Unless you know. So I got asked a few times because it can be a kind of a mystery if you're in Joshua Tree or Flamingo Heights or Pioneer Town or wherever, and people are asking, how do you like 29 Palms? And I say, I like it fine. It's fine, but I do miss all the tall guys. 
Now, if you know our area, I'm not talking about tall people or tall Nordic aliens or tall boys or what have you. I'm talking about the Joshua trees. They are tallest in Yucca Valley around here because Yucca Valley gets the most precipitation. And now and then a little bit of that snow that the Joshua trees really, really need. They really appreciate it. They can get by without it, but they're not going to become true tall guys unless they get a little snow and some good rain every year or three in those chilly nights. One reason I admire the Joshua tree so much, sympathize with it, is that its required climate is the only climate on earth that I have found right for my particular physiology. I don't like any other climate. Like the Joshua tree, I am now apparently an indicator species for the Mojave High Desert, 3,000 to 6,000 feet in elevation, the perfect zone, the original Garden of Eden, according to the Nag Hammadi Codex. So hiking around the 29 Palms part of the park, it's very lovely. It has less people than over by the Joshua tree entrance, and there is a lot of nice creosote and choya, pencil choya and smaller yucca trees but I don't like being the tallest thing makes me just a little ill at ease walking out there I don't want to attract the yucca man or a giant night eagle or something like that If you've got Instagram, go over to the Desert Oracle Instagram account and you can see us right here in the studio doing this. But keep your radio on so that you can hear the soundscapes by Red, Blue, Black, Silver. Do you have any particular feelings about what part of the desert is correct for your physiology? Send us a letter, call us maybe. I love talking to desert people because they are a little bit different, a little different than the average bear. And when they've been at it a long time, this desert living thing, as you may notice with certain people, it just becomes natural. The regular way of approaching things. And they no longer remember or know or care that they have peculiar taste. Different people have peculiar tastes. I think that's from a Lou Reed song. Listen, do you love to listen to Desert Oracle Radio? Well, why not show your love by visiting our website, desertoracle.com, and subscribing to our pocket-sized periodical all about the mysterious and intriguing desert wilderness... all the wild things that happen out here. Here at the Desert Oracle Institute, a legally registered entity, our goal is to provide a quality radio program and podcast, a charming yet haunted secret newsletter in the form of a perfect bound print journal that will enchant your soul. And in general, generally speaking, 
will help manifest a deeper relationship with the world around you, the known and the unknown and the known unknown. Subscribe today for only $25. And do keep an eye out for the t-shirts. We are really struggling to get finished and some other treats that may or may not appear in time for Halloween. Thanks for taking the trouble to find us online at DesertOracle.com. Did you see it last night? Over Joshua Tree National Park, south of Highway 62. So many people saw it that the Astronomy Club was getting phone calls all night. What the heck is that thing, etc. So they posted it on Facebook and Twitter, and a lot of people who didn't see anything, of course, they have to chime in. Oh, it was a weather balloon, or a helicopter, or a flyer of the moon, or a wayward duck. I mean, come on. If you saw it, I want you to give us a call. The studio line is 760-366-8471. That's 760-366-8471. We will take your calls in the second half of the hour, and we want you to be prepared. And while you are on hold, you'll hear the radio show, so you won't miss anything. 760-366-8471. We have a natural sense that they are out there, out here, around us, generally speaking. In the mountains, on the rivers, on the desert, in the darkness, on the edge of town. And this week we have an interesting paper to contemplate written by astrophysicist James Benford. It's called Looking for Lurkers, Co-Orbiters as SETI Observables. By James Benford from the American Astronomical Society. The abstract says a recently discovered group of nearby co-orbital objects is an attractive location for extraterrestrial intelligence, ETI, to locate a probe to observe Earth while not being easily seen. These near-Earth objects provide an ideal way to watch our world from a secure natural object. That provides resources an ETI might need, materials, a firm anchor, and concealment. These have been studied by astronomy and not at all by the search for extraterrestrial intelligence or planetary radar observations. I describe the objects found thus far and propose both passive and active observations of them as possible sites for ET probes. Well, a lot of us have the heavy feeling that there's a satellite, an ancient satellite, orbiting our planet, and it is there for unknown purposes, but we suspect we know why. It's there to provide a certain guidance. It's an idea we know from 2001, A Space Odyssey. From the novels of Philip K. Dick, from the strange transmissions so many of us have received from what seems to be artificial or mechanical intelligence. Well, maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's a holographic and psychic projection system. With manifestations constructed of light and atmospheric plasma, maybe it's inside a near-Earth object, a chunk of asteroid or whatever, just sort of hanging around all the time listening, watching, maybe doing more. Now his paper doesn't say the things are broadcasting or narrowcasting messages and wisdom or whatever, 
but it's a fairly rational religious approach. This idea that the Vallis 2001 intelligent transmitter is here or nearby, whether physically or dimensionally or both. Today there is news that this basic idea is worth researching, worth looking for. The intelligence could be hidden or within otherwise natural space rocks. I think we're going to find it. I think we're close to getting the next key, the next upgrade. Philip K. Dick knew it. He saw it. How much did that man see? Robot probes on space rocks floating around. Tonight we are going to talk about some truly weird stuff. Time travel, science fiction and science fact, strange goings on. Our guest tonight is an author, a poet, a publisher, the host of the Simultaneous Times Sci-Fi Podcast, and the proprietor of Space Cowboy Books here in downtown Joshua Tree, right here in the Sun Alley shops. Who is this person of so many hats? Well, it's Jean-Paul Garnier. We could really use another hour. Just for the phone calls, I better gonna come in, but for now, we'll have time for a few in the second half of the show. So pick up your phone, you can just hang out and listen until we're ready. We'll keep you on hold with the show playing. 760-366-8471. If you forgot to write that on a nearby pet or child, once again, it's 760 760- 366-8471. And we will be right back. Our own space cowboy, Jean-Paul Gagné on more Desert Oracle Radio, coming right up. KCBZ, 29 Palms, Yucca Valley. Broadcasting from studios in Joshua Tree. With local news recognized for excellence by the Radio Television News Association. Z1077FM.com Welcome back to Desert Oracle Radio. Tonight we are in the studio with Jean-Paul Gagné, writer and publisher and the owner of Space Cowboy Books here in town. Jean-Paul, welcome to the program. Thank you, Mr. Lane. It's a pleasure to be here. Let's try that again. Thank you, Mr. Lane. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. We're still getting the hang of this live version of Desert Oracle Radio. And by we, I mean me. Let's get a plug in for the bookshop before we get wrapped up and all this weird material because bookshops always deserve a plug. 
and we are lucky to have an independent bookseller in our very tiny town of Joshua Tree is Space Cowboy Books, right? That's correct. Now, you're in the Sun Alley shops. You've been there three, four years now? That'll be four years this January. Four years. An institution, and you're open on weekends, which is very handy for the visitor. I'm there every day except for Tuesday. Tuesday is the day Joshua Tree shuts down. So if you don't want to see any people and you also want to go hungry and not have a book, come on Tuesday. We're going to be taking your calls. And we're going to be trying to get a few of those in on the line tonight. Now is the time for you to call Desert Oracle Radio. The studio line is open. 760-366-8471. That's 760-366-8471. Thank you, robots. Uh, Jean-Paul, we have had a conversation We've started a conversation several times over the last year or so, and I guess it makes sense that the conversation keeps kind of jumping and stopping and going back in time because it's it's about time travel, and you started off on this by telling me about some weird activity with a kind of institute and their public-facing websites and that sort of thing. So can you just kind of give us a, a, a rundown of, of this strange tale? Absolutely. So about six, seven years ago, I started doing research into time travel, partly because of some personal experiences that had happened, which I'll talk about later in the program, but also because I'm a science fiction writer and got to get your science right if you're going to write science fiction, ideally. So in my pursuit of studying what was going on in modern times with time travel, I came across a couple different scientists and institutions. The one that we spoke of is called the Anderson Institute. The Anderson Institute has a few patents out for time travel technology, but their usage of the technology is not what you'd think. When we think of time travel, we tend to think about H.G. Wells and jumping into the time machine and traveling to the past or the future. But what Dr. Anderson has been doing is very different. They're working on time stasis chambers, so that they call it time control technology. And the idea is Let's jump back a second. Time stasis chambers. Can you describe what, what they mean by that or how you understand them to be using the term? So there are several different uh, usages for this technology. One of them, so in a time stasis chamber, you'd be able to either retard or accelerate time. So there's a few different usages for that. For research purposes, to be able to speed up time, would advance the sciences greatly. Say you're doing botanical research, for instance. You could speed up time for the plant, and it would grow faster. Within some kind of closed environment, or...? Yes. And from what I understand, currently the technology is very... only works on a very, very small level. For slowing down time, the time stasis chamber, one of the things that they've proposed to utilize it for is for organ transplants. 
a lot of medical implications of this. One of the issues when you transplant an organ is it's not going to stay fresh for very long. But if you put the organ into a time stasis chamber and essentially freeze or slow down time for the organ, it would be brand new. It could be transported, which is something that's a major issue for transplants. The Anderson Institute also has proposed, and this story, since I've been following them, seems to have changed several times, which I find interesting. One of the implications for this technology is for clean energy. Now, when you have a massive body in space, it warps the space-time around it. And an object like the Earth, which is also spinning, most things in the cosmos are also spinning, it will twist the space as, long, as well as warping it. The Anderson Institute has proposed that they can put a collector-emitter system in orbit around Earth to harness this energy that's created by the warping of space-time and shoot it back down to Earth, presumably with microwaves or something like that, so that we could use it as a clean resource. So they would launch something in, into space, into orbit, and would it... What, what's the space part? Why put it in space? Is it the vacuum? Is it the speed? It's the bending of space-time itself created by massive bodies such as the Earth. So you have a massive amount of potential energy stored in the warping of space-time. One of the things that terrifies me about this particular technology, while it's interesting and it would be cleaner than burning fossil fuels, for instance, is because of the law of conservation of energy, because of the law of conservation of mass, and if you've ever worked in electronics, you know that if you gain something, you also lose something. So if we harness the energy of the warping of space-time, one of the things that's going to happen is it's going to slow the rotation of the Earth. Now, Dr. Anderson has said that this slowing of the rotation of Earth would only be a very small fraction of a second over millennia. But that, I suppose, would be cumulative if this device stayed on. And we have absolutely no idea what changing the rotation of the Earth would do, even if it's just a fraction of a second. I'm not a physicist, but it seems to me that that could be catastrophic environmentally. So the thing is in space, it's placed in such a way that it's going to have some sort of gravitational effect on the Earth, which is going to slightly change the Earth's movement, and that's going to generate energy? So when, if we take the potential energy that's wrapped up in the warping of space-time, we'll be removing some of that energy, which is going to take the energy away from the spin of the Earth, which is causing that warping in space-time. So you said it terrifies you. Tell me some of the scenarios that you're thinking of when you are awake at night, worried about what the, uh, the Anderson... Pe oh! 
tell me the worst one, and we'll come back and talk more about it. One scary thing is an effect that this would have is to move the moon further away from the Earth. And this would happen very slowly over millennia. But if we change the orbit of the Earth, we change the tidal structures, and almost all life on Earth would be affected by a change like that. That sounds serious. We're going to talk more about this, and we're going to find out about why Jean-Paul decided he needed to look into time travel, the personal experiences. You're listening to Desert Oracle Radio, broadcasting from Joshua Tree on KCDZ 107.7 FM. We'll be back. the program. I'm your host, Ken Lane, and the sounds you hear around me are composed and performed by our very own Red, Blue, Black, Silver here in Joshua Tree. We are hearing a little of his very spooky soundtrack to Hunt for the Skinwalker at the end of the program tonight. If things get very tense... That is the documentary about Skinwalker Ranch by our friend Jeremy Corbell with George Knapp, too. And it's part of Hulu's Huluween collection. So watch it late at night if you want to get good and spooked and then go take the recycling out and see what happens. Last night, people saw something. We have in the studio with us tonight from Space Cowboy Books and Joshua Tree, the writer, the poet, the host of the Simultaneous Times podcast, Jean-Paul Gagnier, and we are talking about the perils of time travel technology. Let's pick up where we left off there. Uh, This institute... You say there's there's something odd about how it's reporting its own work. What? How is this? How are we seeing this? I guess I should ask. Most of the material available about the Anderson Institute seems to date from the early 2000s. Their website looks quite old. Uh, their, their videos seem dated, uh, although a lot of the science seems current. Something interesting about their website and their promotional materials that are online is when I had originally looked into this years ago, I feel like it said that they were in Arizona or New Mexico, which originally made me think of you. I thought maybe we could take a trip out there and check this place out. Uh, the last thing I heard was that perhaps they're in Long Island. On their website, they will not say where they are for security reasons. For security reasons? And another interesting thing is when when we first talked about the Anderson Institute, I went back and I looked for their website, which was gone. In fact, all the materials 
about the Anderson Institute were gone. The only things I could find were a couple different podcasts and a few people talking about it. And a lot of people seemed to believe that we were dealing with some kind of Mandela effect. That a group working on time travel had mysteriously disappeared. It's equally likely that they didn't pay their server fees and the website was just gone. But it was interesting how it all kind of disappeared off of the internet. No, have you looked, say, at uh, the web archive at archive.org? I, I did. That was the first thing I did when I found that the rest of the materials were gone. Since then, the materials have been put back up. The website's back up. It's a little different than it was before. And today I was looking, I was able to find an hour-long film that they had made, which was kind of a corporate pitch, kind of a history of time travel. Uh, that's called Journeys Through Time. So currently that's available. I've downloaded it this time, so in case it disappears again, I've got it. Have you printed it out? Uh, that'll be the next step. But it just, uh, I think we'd first talked about this, I don't know, maybe a year ago, and I looked into it, and it, all the materials were gone, and when I went back maybe three months ago, they had appeared again. So who knows if that was the uh, Mandela effect or what, but it's back, but it doesn't seem current. So the new website that you found on, on the public internet again is seemingly old. It looks like something that was designed around early 2000s. The, the, the classic early web. Indeed. To have a little guy doing construction with the, the jackhammer at the bottom of the page. I didn't see that, but uh, the videos aren't high def. You know, they're the old format, old aspect ratio. Uh, a lot of the information is still relevant, though. If you're interested in time travel, I recommend checking it out. What, what is the actual website? I think it's just andersoninstitute.com. AndersonInstitute.com. All right, we'll we'll uh, check that in in the break and make sure we're we're steering you to the the place that's supposed to be there. Tell us how you got interested in this in this esoteric science. So partly because I'm a science fiction writer, but on on a more personal level, a, a few things happened that really made me do a deep dive and consider it more. I'll back up to a story that's not going to make a lot of sense till I tell the next story. When I was 16, I was standing in my bedroom and I was looking out the window and it was daylight, afternoon, and I looked at the clock and then I looked back at the window and I looked back at the clock and six, hour, six hours had elapsed in the blink of an eye. When I looked back out the window, it was nighttime. And I thought, this is really strange, you know, I'm sober, <laughs> middle of the day, six hours just disappear on me. Run upstairs, family's up there, nothing's weird, no one's noticed that I was gone, if gone is what I was. In telling people this story, a lot of people, first thing they say is, you were abducted by aliens. Now, I, I believe that there are aliens in the cosmos, the universe is just too darn big. But because it's so darn big, I really doubt they'd come down here to abduct a 16-year-old boy. I believe that the UFOs and the aliens people encounter are probably people from the future because it's easier to travel through time than it is to travel through those vast distances of space. 
Now, fast forward to about seven and a half years ago, eight years ago. I'm laying in bed with my girlfriend and just enjoying myself. It's the day off. And I have my eyes closed and I'm thinking how lovely, what a great day it is, how lovely it would be to have a picnic. And following that thought, I said, well, you know, if I'm daydreaming here, why not a picnic in France? And at that moment, this was one of the strangest experiences of my life. At that moment, I was at a picnic in France when I was about nine years old and happening just as this reality is, no different. It was a moment from my past, but not one that I particularly remembered. But all of a sudden, I'm experiencing it in real time. Now, what made this experience so strange was that I was also experiencing the present in real time. My consciousness had essentially split into two nows. So you were aware of yourself in our present day, or seven, eight years ago when this happened, but you were simultaneously aware of yourself as a child, but with your family in a park? Yes, and it wasn't a memory. Smells, sound, tactile, all the sensory input was there. It's why my podcast is called Simultaneous Times, because I was experiencing two nows superimposed on each other. Immediately, I was overwhelmed by this. We're, we're not really designed to experience multiple consciousnesses at once. The next thought that occurred to me, aside from being completely overwhelmed by this experience, was that if I could tap into this intentionally, I would have unlimited access to any moment in my past. Then I was faced with a difficult decision. I would want to re-experience all of the positive moments in life over and over. But I knew in that moment that if I accepted the ability to do this, that I would become lost in the past, only reliving good moments, and that I would sacrifice my future by doing so. And I willed it to go away and, and turned off that ability to do that. Now, back to me being 16 and disappearing for six hours. I suspect that this is going to happen to me again at some point in the future, and the reason the 16-year-old doesn't have any memory of that is because it's in my current future. It hasn't actually happened. It hasn't happened yet. You haven't gone back and gotten yourself so or there are, met yourself. There are no memories for the 16-year-old me or the me of this age until I travel back into that 16-year-old's body. So do you think that this time travel startup company that, that you've become obsessed with, that you're going to become involved with this, and at some point you're going to use this technology, and that's going to fill in those gaps. I don't think it's the technology that's going to do it. I have a couple different ideas about how practical real-time travel works. Timothy Leary <laughs> suggested that the brain is a perfect recording device. It records all stimuli. Now, when we experience reality, typically we're filtering out the majority of, of the stimuli because it would be too much to bear. But 
it's all recorded in there everything you ever experienced and through practicing visualization techniques and things like that you can practice to access parts of your memory that you didn't think were in your memory so i think the brain is a perfect holographic recorder so in a sense memory is a form of time travel but we can dig deeper into our memory to make it a full sensory real-time experience and i think that's what's happened that's what happened to me and will probably happen again on a more practical external level and this is the type of technology that i'd like to see implemented although there are nefarious uses for it as well is not the type of work that the anderson institute is doing but mirrors in space if we put a mirror in space a light month away from us which would be not that far on the cosmic scale and we trained one of our telescopes on that mirror we could see two months ago because of the, the round trip light time an interesting technology that's come up in the last decade is the visual microphone they can actually back engineer sound from visual information so if we had a series of mirrors in space at different distances we could essentially look at our own past in real time and listen to it. Now, if that technology, and, and we have everything we need to do that. I mean, they'd have to be fairly large mirrors, but we could look at our, we could look at our own past and it's essentially time travel. We'd be watching it exactly as it happened. So if there was say, uh mirrors that we could see with say the hubble telescope or whatever high-powered telescope we use on the voyager probes which are now several light years away from us conceivably you could see if you had a high enough powered telescope what was going on at least say um, around space like maybe you would you see the elon musk chain of internet satellites i think if it was on voyager it would probably be too small to be practical the, the further away the mirror is the bigger it would have to be for it to be functional for us here but think on a smaller scale if if we've got a light day away you know 24 light hours away and this is where it gets scary think of how crime fighting would change like minority report the police could actually look at the past yeah. to view something in real time that was reported or before so that's one interesting thing that i'd like to see happen just i think we would have a very different take on our own history if, if we could look at ourselves in that way but also something that's interesting in that is that light is an information carrier. You know, that's how you're hearing us on the radio. Radio waves are a form, they're part of the EM spectrum. It's a form of light, it's just not visible light and our voices are modulated into that wave. That's how you're hearing us right now. That means, and, and light is infinite. That means that everything that light has touched is still out there I think of the cosmos the past as a giant photo album and every page is a photon thick 
and so everything that's ever happened as long as it was illuminated is still there it's still going on and this has had some interesting philosophical implications for me you know if you think about philosophical issues you always run up into the wall of are we in a predetermined universe or do i have free will now because the mirrors in space if we were using that we would be able to access the information in those photons. It means that all of the past is there. It's, it's a cumulative thing. So the past becomes predeterministic, predeterministic, and the future still allows for free will because that information is not in those photons. I call this free determinism, where we get a little bit of the best of both worlds. So we could conceivably build ourselves into a kind of cul-de-sac where everything that we do is predetermined by one version of the future that we happen to take. I tend to have a difficult time with multiple timelines. You know, say, say if we jumped in a physical time machine and we went to the past and we altered things, there is some thinking that you know, you either can't alter the past or a separate timeline splits off. As compelling as the separate timeline idea is, I, I have issue with it because what happens to the conservation of energy and mass laws? We would essentially be creating a new universe every time we split the timeline, which would require massive amounts of energy that are not available to us small sentient creatures. As of yet. As of yet. What do you think the Anderson Institute people might know already? Because one of the more interesting things you mentioned to me, I think it was last summer, was that there was the, the, the implication that some of these researchers were changing the past in, in our own timeline. Tell me why you thought that. That idea came up uh, partly because of the, the Mandela effect. You know, if, if everything about this institute had disappeared, which it seemingly did a while ago, did they do something that caused their own disappearance? It's hard to say if some of the discrepancies in the information I encountered are flaws in my memory or if they've just changed. Some of the information I encountered in their videos or on their website is not what I recall, but the memory can be flawed. Now, the Mandela effect, if you haven't fallen down that particular rabbit hole, is an idea that has become very popular on internet message boards, especially when people seem to remember a different past than the past that is in our current history. Is that a fair summary? That's correct. And there are several, often they're, they're small, kind of inconsequential things. You know, it's named for Nelson Mandela because a lot of us remember him dying and then he was alive again. In town, you can see, well, I think they just closed down, but J.C. Penny didn't used to have an E at the end. 
I remember that. And and I think one of the most popular ones that's that a lot of people remember from their childhood is the Berenstein Bears. Right. That Who this, became the Berenstain Bears. Yeah, which is not I I remember JC Penny and I remember the Berenstein Bears. It's hard to say if that's just our collective consciousness or if there was an alteration in time. I would think that if that effect was real, that there would be more drastic implications than something as silly as the name of a child's book changing or the name of a department store changing. Or is it possibly just minor errors that were considered too small to go back and deal with? That's a compelling thought. We're going to take a quick break and we will be back or forward with more Desert Oracle Radio with Jean-Paul Gagné from Space Cowboy Books here in Joshua Tree, also host of the Simultaneous Times podcast. Look that up on your favorite podcast provider. Make sure you subscribe to Desert Oracle Radio too. These are free things for now. Until someone figures out how to monetize that, too. We'll be right back on Desert Oracle Radio. Welcome back to Desert Oracle Radio. Are you making Halloween plans? I make Halloween plans all year round. And then all of a sudden it's here. We've got three weekends of art tours, Highway 62 open studio art tours, October 5th and 6th, 12th and 13th, and wrapping up on the 19th and 20th. You just cruise around the high desert on those three weekends, visiting weird artists in their home studios. Pick up the Highway 62 Art Tours guidebook at your favorite gallery or shop or restaurant or go to highway62arttours.org. And when you get your catalog, make sure to look at every page because there's some pretty strange stuff I noticed. You might want to call some of those informational phone numbers within the catalog is what I'm saying. Desert Oracle has appearances and events scheduled for every one of those weekends. Just go to our website, desertoracle.com, click events. We have an events calendar starting tomorrow night, Saturday, October 5th at Amboy Crater, celebrating the 25th anniversary of the California Desert Protection Act with scary campfire stories. The Mojave Trails National Monument, Amboy Crater, followed by a star party. Under the beautiful Mojave sky, people have been seeing a lot of weird things out there, too. My friend Zoe Taylor was passing by Amboy just to the north last week on I-40, and she saw some real weird things hovering over the desert. And last night over Joshua Tree, people were seeing something big and strange and lit up over the National Park. What was it? And why didn't I see that one? Then there's Joshua Tree Music Festival, Saturday, October 12th. That's Crowley Mass Day, 5 p.m. I will be there doing my thing. Come on over, say hello. We'll tell some UFO stories, some monster tales. We might record your strange stories for use on this program. Early the next morning, Joshua Tree National Park Artist Tea Program at Caprock, Sunday, October 13th, 9 a.m. 
9 a.m. There will be tea and various treats. Bring a chair or a blanket. Bring a mug. Bring a solar-powered margarita blender. If you'd like to attend our first secret performance of Desert Oracle Radio live on stage at a secret local venue coming up on Friday, October 18th, then Joshua Tree, contact us on Twitter, Instagram, whatever you like to use as Desert Oracle on all of those, and I'll tell you the address and the code word, the safe word, $10 at the door. The group Kokomo will be joining us with some haunting and beautiful music. We are recording the entire performance for broadcast and the podcast. We've got an event coming up at Wonder Valley at the Community Center, October 26th. That's a Saturday late afternoon. You can come to the Palms afterward if you are in costume because they're having their monster bash Saturday night, October 26th. An actual Halloween night, Thursday, October 31st. It's Campfire Stories at the Ace Hotel in Palm Springs, 7 p.m., free and open all. Scary stories around a campfire. We have been spending this hour speaking with Jean-Paul Gagné from Space Cowboy Books. We have a few minutes left. Can you tell us something else weird about this whole time travel situation? Yeah, I think... So, I'm a writer. I write science fiction. But I'm also in the research stages for a few nonfiction projects, which are both related to time travel. One is a history of attempts at creating time machines, and another is an informal history of time travel and film, which I'm really enjoying putting that one together. If you're interested in time machines, I recommend looking up a fellow named Dr. Ronald Millette. Practical time travel to send human beings through time to the future or the past is a remote possibility that's probably not going to happen for quite some time. What's more likely to happen with time travel is that we'll be able to send information back through time. We'll be able to send subatomic particles back in time. And because subatomic particles have spin, we can use them to send bi binary information. So that will most likely be the first practical applications of the first time machine is to send information back. Ron Millette's not a hard guy to find. Uh, he's written a couple books about his personal experiences. How do you spell his last name? M-A-L-L-E-T. He's a professor on the East Coast, I believe, in Connecticut. But he's doing real work in time travel. Very, very interesting stuff that's worth taking a look at. And that will most... If he's successful, that'll be the first time machine where we can actually send things to the past. It's most likely that we'll only be able to travel as far back as when the first functional machine was turned on. So that's when it would start, because that's the point that there's the machinery for us to use. So if you do this nonfiction book, then almost certainly you're going to have to go investigate and research this institute, right? Anderson Institute will be in there. Ron Millette's work. Die Glock. Oh, Die Glock. The, oh. The, there, there's a lot of interesting time machines that if that have happened or not happened, we're not sure. But, you know, real scientists work on this stuff, and the science is there. It doesn't violate the laws of physics to travel through time. 
that is where we're going to have to leave it until we get a hold of Di Glock. We're going to go back to Germany and uh, get get the time machine and then all the usual things that you're supposed to do with a time machine in Germany, we're going to do them. And then we'll take it back to America. It's going to be a lot of fun. From Amboy to Zizeks and across the great Mojave wilderness, this has been Desert Oracle Radio. I'm your host, Ken Lane. We broadcast from KCDZ 107.7 FM in Joshua Tree. Soundscapes by Joshua Tree's own red, blue, black, silver. Thanks to our guest tonight, Jean-Paul Gagné from Space Cowboy Books and his podcast, Simultaneous Times. You'll want to look at that. It's a fitting title. Look up Space Cowboy Books and Joshua Tree. It's all there. Everything you need to know. Get our podcast wherever you get your podcast: Spotify, Pandora, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher. And please subscribe and leave us a review if you enjoy the program. It does help other people find Desert Oracle Radio. We'll be back next Friday broadcasting live from KCDZ and Joshua Tree like every Friday. Our Ace Hotel Thursdays, it's going to be more or less the first Thursday of the month. Starting, of course, with the last Thursday of October, Halloween. Look at our calendar, desertoracle.com events. The campfire stories at the Ace are free. They're open to all. They set up a bar. It's a real campfire and a little grove of trees, a grotto. It's very pleasant. And we're going to do them all through the fall, the winter, and into the spring. Including the Thursdays immediately after Christmas and immediately after New Year's. A lot of people like to travel to the desert that time of year because the weather is beautiful and all the beautiful people are there. Plus, you can hike in the daytime. There's something about being able to leave your hotel or Airbnb or camper or tent or whatever it may be. And hopefully we're going to get that fall issue of Desert Oracle out pretty soon. Thank you for listening. And good night from the voice of the desert.